All right, enough of that mushy stuff, all right? If you got your Bibles, let's open to uh, Proverbs chapter 14 and then 1 Kings chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 14, and then we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 22. Well, right after this beautiful baby dedication, we finally get to kill Ahab, all right? Are you ready for that? Some of you have been waiting for this moment for the last five months, okay? Uh, we've been going through this series uh, where we've been talking about the life of Ahab and Elijah, and uh, it's the show down between the two, and finally it is going to come to an end for old Ahab, all right? So if you got your Bibles, Proverbs 14 and then 1 Kings 22, all right? As you're flipping that direction, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever considered crossing a boundary before? Have you ever considered crossing a boundary before? In light of our baby dedication, the first boundary that I really thought of was the street. Do you remember when you uh, were told by your parents growing up that you couldn't cross the street? Did any of you have that rule? Anybody have the no cross in the street rule? Hey, there's a few of us. I had to play uh, the way that my uh, my family was set up. We had uh, lived on a little cul-de-sac area uh, in Lubbock, Texas, and there was a huge cotton field right across on the other side of the cul-de-sac. And so uh, because of the cotton field, there was not a whole lot of traffic going on. But my mom always told me, don't cross the street because she said you just never know if a car is going to be coming by. But it was pretty tough at times to know that that was the boundary and to just look and go, you know, I could cross the street if I wanted to. It's not dangerous right now. I could do it if I wanted to. And here's the thing. I remember one day specifically where I looked around. My mom wasn't watching. And you know what I did? I crossed the street. What a rebellious deal to do, right? Now, it started with that moment of crossing the street. It then began to manifest itself in a little bit more rebellion. You start with breaking one rule because you just that it doesn't make sense for you at the time. And so guess what happens? All of a sudden, there was another rule that we had. And that rule was when we're in a swimming pool that we don't cross the rope in the swimming pool because I didn't know how to swim. But I remember being able to hop in that water and I could get a breath and hop around. But I remember seeing that and going, you know, it's probably like the street. It's probably not that scary. And there was a day that I had where I was hopping around through the water and I crossed that boundary. And I'm telling you, for any of you who've been to a swimming pool before, I mean, it drops to 10 feet really, really fast once you get on the other side of that rope in the swimming pool. You see, it didn't seem like that big a deal when it was the street. But all of a sudden, I was in danger and the lifeguard had to jump in and had to help me. Now, I share that story with you today to say this. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20 is a great verse to memorize. Here's what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. The way that seems right to a man is specifically when we decide we know what the Bible has to say on a subject, but we choose to live another way. It seems like a good idea. It seems like it's right. But in the end, it leads to destruction. There is no part of scripture that the Lord has put in as filler to keep you from having fun. Every ounce of scripture is to protect you so that, again, you have long life, so that, again, you fight forward and do what it is that he's called you to do. There is a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads 
to destruction. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We gain understanding of what is right over what seems right when we measure our plans next to Scripture. Let me say that again. We gain understanding of what is right over what seems right when we measure our plans against Scripture. It's one thing when we're talking about the street or a swimming pool rope. Adult problems are different. It starts off as the boundary between flirting and a relationship. But before you know it, we start flirting with somebody and then we end up yoked to them. Sometimes it starts off as using resources at work and the boundary line in between using resources and stealing all of a sudden becomes a boundary that's in play. We love to work in this city, don't we? And there's a difference between enjoying your work and doing what God's made you to do and obsessing to the point that it becomes your entire life's goal when our life's goal is meant to be fully founded in Christ. It's one thing when it's a friendship, and it's another thing when it develops, for those of you who are married, into adultery. When we cross that line, there are major consequences for it. It starts off as frustration with our fellow man, and then all of a sudden it erupts into deep, sinful hatred that ends up defining our lives. It starts off with concern for an issue, and it ends in abject fear that we were never meant to exist in. There's a great little movie, set of movies back in the day called The Original Star Wars Trilogy, all right? Any Star Wars fans out here? We just celebrated May the 4th, all right? There's a few of us out there. Uh, there uh, uh, if you think about the Star Wars movies, it's so interesting. The evil, evil character in the movie is not actually Darth Vader. You learn this. And by the way, if I'm spoiling this for you, you had like 40 years to see it, okay? And so here's the deal. The big evil character is the Emperor, Emperor Palpatine, right? And do you remember talks like this and talks about the dark side, right? Well, if you boil down the emperor's whole character, the goal of the emperor with Darth Vader, and we get to see like in the first episodes, Darth Vader's deal, but Darth Vader and with Luke Skywalker, the emperor's play is always to try to get them to cross a boundary and then once they cross the boundary, then they belong to him. The shame and the guilt and they just feel again enslaved to this emperor. Do you remember the scene at the end of episode three when you've got Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker fighting against each other and as they're fighting back and forth you watch it the emperor goes give in to your hate give in to your hate and he's telling him it sounds it sounds like again go with the flow these emotions that you have are justified but what he's really saying with give in to your hate is kill your father that's what he's telling them and it sounds just like these emotions are natural. You are justified in feeling this way. This guy cut off your hand in the previous episode, right? I'm telling you, you are justified in doing this. This hate is normal. But if Luke kills him, he has killed his father, and that is a boundary that once he's crossed it, he will be different forever. They then go back and do the prequels, and what happens? Darth Vader has that moment where he starts to kill innocent people, and then it erupts into him crossing all those boundaries. Well, at the end, they want him in episode, uh, episode five. The goal is for him to kill his son. Again, that's a boundary that once he crosses it, he cannot go back after crossing that boundary. The enemy loves to tell us that we are justified in the emotions that we have, in the way that we feel, and that scripture is just trying to hold us back. It's a half-truth. Scripture is trying to hold us back from becoming someone God never intended for us to be. So in Star Wars, 
The culminating moment is when Luke sheathes his lightsaber, sets it to the side and says, Father, I can't kill you. And then all of a sudden the emperor does that lightning thing. It's another thing for another day. All right, all that to say. Again, it's the way the enemy talks to us. It's the reason that that silly archetypical movie sticks out to us. It's the way of the world. We are justified in our emotions. The emotions are real, but we cannot allow them to justify sin. If we do, we become Ahab. We've been going through his whole life story in Scripture. And you know what I think of? There's one big word that comes to mind as we've gone through this Ahab study. Ahab's life was wasted. This was an individual that had so many resources He had so many godly people around him. He saw miracles that I would not kill to see, but I would really desire to see. I'm telling you, he saw fire fall from heaven. He saw the Lord bring a drought and then bring about rain at the prayer of one single individual. I'm telling you, he saw some amazing things. Much was given to him. But for him, he always just wanted to do it his own way. It begs the question, what should we remember when we consider doing something that the Bible is clear we shouldn't do? It's our big question today. What should we remember when we consider doing something that the Bible is clear we shouldn't do? Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. And we're going to finish up Ahab's story starting in verse 29. Now, just for the record, he's about to do battle once again with Benadad, who the Lord had told him to put to death for war crimes, and he chose not to do it. And because of that, the payoff here is to see it wasn't just for the good of the country, but for the good of Ahab himself. He was supposed to let it go with Benadad. He had done things that deserved justice, and he just wouldn't do it. He kept him around for whatever reason. Now look at verse 29. It says, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise. Underline, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. It says, Now the king of Aram, that's Benadad, had ordered that his 32 chariot commanders do not fight with anyone, small or great, except with the king of Israel. Now stop right there for just a minute. That is how much Benadad hates Ahab. That, remember the story that we went through several months ago? For those of you who are here, I'm telling you, Benadad over and over again is like, I want Ahab dead. I want you to fight with him. I want you to take him down. He's the one that we're after. And for some reason, Ahab decided that it was a good idea just to let this guy go. Look at what happens next. Verse 32, it says, when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely that's the king of Israel. They see him in the royal robes. So then they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, underline when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, and they stopped pursuing him. I've always wondered if Jehoshaphat had a really high-pitched voice. You know what I mean? I mean, it must have been a very distinct voice that either he or Ahab had, that when they heard him cry out, they went, 
yeah, that's not our guy. That's not the one that we've been pursuing all these decades to try to take down on behalf of Benedad and on behalf of our people. Uh, that's what happens here. If you're taking notes, I want you to see this from the heavenly perspective. When it comes to Almighty God and his word, and when we consider breaking one of those boundaries, crossing one of those lines, that the way that seems right to us, that feels right to us, must be the right way, but it goes against scripture. What we find in this passage is that you cannot hide from God. If you're taking notes, write that down. What should we remember when we consider doing something? The Bible is clear we shouldn't do. Number one, you cannot hide from God. What in the world does it help for Ahab to put on a disguise at this point? It makes absolutely no sense. In fact, if I'm Jehoshaphat, I'm sitting there going, dude, why am I the one running around with a target on my back? We're supposed to be trying to take this city back together. You cannot hide from Almighty God. Just for the record, if you don't believe me, just ask Jonah and he will tell you. You can't hide from God. There's a call on Jonah's life that he's supposed to go to Nineveh and he's supposed to preach repentance for those people. And do you remember the way the story goes? Instead, he goes a different route. He goes in the complete opposite direction, sails on the seas. And you got to remember this. For an ancient, the depths of the ocean are just as mysterious as the magic of outer space for us. I'm telling you, they can't go deeper than a person can dive. And because of that, when Jonah has the moment on the boat where the sea is so tumultuous, he looks and says, you know what? I hate those people so much, I would rather die than share the message of God with them, the message of Yahweh with them. By the way, we talked last week about felt board theology, the way that you teach a story to children. Read the story of Jonah like an adult. Him throwing himself in the water isn't him going, I sacrificed my myself for the people on this boat it's Jonah's last ditch effort to control his life Jonah looks at God and says you know what I would rather die than share the message of you with those people in Nineveh and by the way Jonah had good reason he had good emotional tie to hate those people many of the people in Nineveh had hurt the people of Israel and they would pour hot tar on them until they were burned to death I mean, if there was ever a reason for him to not want to, do, to, to share the message of Yahweh with those people, they had tortured people in his family. Jonah says, I'd rather die. And so what does he do? He tries to hide from God by jumping into the water. But the Lord sees everything. You can't hide from him. And what happens? It says he's swallowed up by a great fish. Read this, by the way. Do you remember how many days Jonah was in the belly of the fish? He was in the belly of the fish for three days. Can I tell you what I think after deep study? I think he hated those people so much that the reason it took him three days to get spit up out of that fish is because he was truly hoping that he would die. But the Lord had entombed him in that fish and Jonah couldn't even take his own life without the Lord's permission. Now listen, you can't hide from God. If you're the individual that thinks, I can do this thing, it's separate from my church life, it's separate from my family life, it doesn't harm or affect anybody, you just need to know, God sees everything. That's not meant to be some fire and brimstone thing on you. It's meant to be something for your rational mind to comprehend. There is nothing that is beyond God's sight that we do 
and we need to behave accordingly. It's not separate. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God cannot be tricked or circumvented. Nothing is beyond his sight. God cannot be tricked or circumvented. Nothing is beyond his sight. It doesn't matter how good Ahab's costume is. God still knows exactly where he is. Save your spot there and now flip over to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. I've read you these verses with Ahab before. They just bear repeating and they are perfect for this principle. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Here's what David has to say. He says, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed down in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Surely if I say darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. What David says here so powerfully is if you go up, if you go down, if you go side to side, if you go into the depths of the sea or you go to the ends of the universe god is still able to see you and what you do in all of those places and not just see you but he understands the why of who you are at the same time he doesn't just judge our actions he judges our heart it begs the question is there a part of your life that you hope god doesn't know about let me ask that again is there a part of your life that you hope god doesn't know about Spoiler alert, he knows. And just for the record, we sang about it moments ago. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God loved you so much, he sent his son to atone for that thing. Not so you could keep doing it, but so that you might be forgiven and then be set free by knowing the truth. Now flip back over to 2 Kings chapter 6, and let's read verses, or excuse me, 1 Kings Uh, chapter 22 and now let's look at verse 34 here's what happens next this is the end of ahab this is crazy you ready for this all this stuff he's been disguised he's gone through all these ups and downs and then here it is verse 34 but someone drew his bow at random underline but someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of israel between the sections of his armor Underline and highlight between the sections of his armor. And the king told his chariot driver, wheel me around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. Now here's what's so interesting about this. The way that it's reading in this passage, Ahab doesn't realize that this is going to be a mortal wound. And can I tell you what's interesting about the way that the armor worked for the kings of Israel? Their armor went from head to toe, and really, the movements for the shoulder pieces, that is the only spot that an arrow could go to get him. It is most likely that he is standing there on the chariot thinking that the arrows are literally just going to bounce off of him, that that's the way this thing is going to go. But at random, an arrow comes to the crowd of soldiers and it hits him in the exact spot that it has to hit him. We were talking about this with the staff this week and Denver said, as I read this, I just picture a guy going, right? Just throwing it, just shooting the arrow just into the sky. I mean, who knows the way this thing comes together, but here's what we find out. Just like David with the sling and the stone against Goliath, it hits the exact spot that it has to hit and it's on the first shot this is not something where they were shooting at him 
repeatedly. It's just a bow at random that hits the king of Israel exactly where it's supposed to hit him. If you're taking notes, what should we remember when we consider doing something the Bible is clear we shouldn't do? Number one, you cannot hide from God. And number two, you are never untouchable. You are never untouchable. This is a powerful word for us to remember in a city where we are currently consumed with the idea of how can we be as safe as possible. That is the biggest struggle, I think, not just for the American people, but it's the struggle right now what's on everyone's mind in our city specifically. And here's the truth. You are never untouchable. With Almighty God, He can get to us any way at any time. Now, just for the record, that's not just for judgment. He can get to your heart anywhere at any time and through conviction draw you to Jesus Christ. For those of you who are already believers, he's able to draw you to repentance anywhere, anytime, no matter what sin it is that you've fallen into. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Are you ready? God's unmatched power is complemented by his unmatched precision. God's unmatched power is complemented by his unmatched precision. There have been times in my life where I felt untouchable. Sometimes where it was untouchable with pride, and then sometimes where it was untouchable with sin. When I had made great mistakes and truly felt like, Lord, could you still love me even in the midst of the horrible decisions that I had made? I want to show you a picture. I've told you about it over the years, but I finally pulled it up for you. Do you mind throwing it up for me, Josiah? This is me and my granddad, and it was the morning of the day that I truly repented. Now, I was already a believer in Jesus Christ. By the way, my kids got glue on it, and you can see it there on the picture. That day was probably one of the five most influential days of my entire life. My granddad there is 80 years old, B.J. Randalls. He was a high school principal. And I want you to look at the difference between his eyes and my eyes. I got my cool 1990s goatee going on right there. My granddad's eyes at 80 years old, and he would end up fighting Alzheimer's, but his eyes are sharper than mine are as a 21-year-old man. Look at him bloodshot and hollow. I keep that picture in my office because I never want to forget what life for me was like when I had salvation through belief in Jesus Christ, but I was without fellowship with Almighty God because I was living in sin. I felt untouchable. I felt like I had ruined my life at 21 and that God could never do any good thing through me ever again. And I was on the highway, Highway 380, between Frisco, Texas, and Denton, Texas, driving back to Oklahoma State, where I was a senior in college. And I'll never forget those hollow eyes. I was listening to a song that, ironically, I had stole from my mother, okay? Uh, she had a great CD collection, and in that CD collection was a CD from a band called Sam Perry and Soul's Desire. For any of you who know the Passion Movement, uh, this was the original Passion Band. Uh, this was back in the original days. It was old even when I stole it from my mom. There was a song that they did called Break Our Hearts. The song is very simple, but the song says, Break Our Hearts, O God. And then it says, we cry out, or excuse me, uh, we cry out, we need your help, come back to our land, we confess we've lived in sin, but show your power once again. 
Very simple song. I remember I'm driving on Highway 380. I've just left my parents' house. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God pierced my armor and touched my heart. I remember on the highway, the tears began to flow from my eyes from this song. And all of a sudden, when I pulled over on the side of the road, I remember saying to God, you can't use me. You can't use me. I've made too many mistakes. You can't use me. But I had been pierced to my very soul. I remember I just started to cry and cry, and then all of a sudden it turned into crying out. And in that moment, it was truly like the Apostle Paul. It was like a heaviness on my forehead, and I remember crying out, and I just kept saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And in true repentance, it was like a weight fell off the front of my head, and then all of a sudden I didn't have those eyes anymore. All of a sudden I looked like my granddad. You see... The Lord is able to reach you wherever you are through whatever you've done and he will fill you with his joy once again. But you gotta let him pierce your heart. There is no amount of armor you can put on that will keep him away. I love that song we sing. No mountain you won't climb, no mountain he won't climb up, no, no room he won't light up, he's coming after us. Again, his love is reckless. The idea is not that his love is random, but that it is so directed he will do anything to get to us. He'll do anything to find fellowship with us. What a powerful word. If you're taking notes, it begs this question. It's a weird one. Are you ready? Is it your plan to contend with God? Is it your plan to contend with God? Whether you've put up armor because you feel like you're not good enough or you've put up armor because you're there going, you know what, I'm a lobbyist, all right? You know, I'm a pretty smart person. Uh, God can come at me and I'm ready to defend why I should be able to do these things that I want to do. Is it really your plan to contend with God? Another great movie that came out years ago called The Dark Knight. Did y'all see The Dark Knight? It's a great little movie, Christian Bale. Do you remember the scene where the guy's trying to blackmail Batman, and he walks up to Morgan Freeman's character, who's kind of the one over all the research and development. Do you remember the scene where he walks up to him and he goes, I want $10 million a year in an account for the rest of my life. And do you remember Morgan Freeman looks at him and he goes, so let me get this straight. A masked vigilante is going around and beating up random people, and he goes, and your plan is to blackmail this person? Do you remember that? In the voice that only Morgan Freeman can do. And then what does he say in his Morgan Freeman voice? Good luck, right? If that's really your plan, it's to blackmail Batman. I don't know if you really thought that one through. If your plan is to contend with God, who you cannot hide from, who is founded in his love for you, and that's why he's pursuing you, why in the world would you want to stay away from him and contend with him? It's time that we give in and allow him to heal us. And now we have the final verses of Ahab's life. Are you ready for this? Look at 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 35 through 38. It says, All day long the battle raged, and the king, look at this, this is so sad, the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. And the blood from his wound ran down to the floor of the chariot, and that evening he died. Underline that evening he died. And as the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, everyone to his land. If 
you're taking notes, write this down. uh, Again, uh, uh, just uh, addressing the question, what should we remember when we consider doing something the Bible is clear we shouldn't do? Number one, you can't hide from God. Number two, you are never untouchable. And number three, you will give an account. You will give an account. The picture here of Ahab's end is that they prop him up, probably at his request, against his chariot, and the last things he sees are the fighting and the murdering of his fellow countrymen as they fight a war that they didn't have to fight. All he had to do was put Benadad to death like God had told him to for the war crimes that he had previously committed. And instead, the end of Ahab's life is the most tragic part, in my opinion, because he's lived one way by his own set of rules, and he finishes up bleeding out as he watches a war happen that didn't have to be, as he watches his countrymen die when they didn't have to. And he just sits there, propped up, and he can do absolutely nothing. What you need to remember from the life of Ahab is that is every single one of us when we choose not to follow Jesus Christ with our lives. Whatever it is that you've built for yourself, whatever it is that you've built that you feel like is a legacy, anything apart from Jesus, at the end, you watch it all fall apart because nothing is eternal apart from him. Everything is going to burn. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Kings 22, 39 and 40. To further this principle, look at what it says. It says, as for the other events of Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built, underline the palace he built, inlaid with ivory, and the cities he fortified, underline the cities he fortified. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? And Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. Can I tell you what's so sad about this part at the end? He spent a whole lot of time on the palace that no longer exists. He spent a whole lot of time on cities that each one of them has been leveled. Not one of those cities exists to this day. And then it says, and then everything else he did was written in the annals of the king of Israel. That book was lost. How sad an ending. The stuff that he spent his life working on didn't stinking matter. You know what's going to be remembered for eternity from Ahab? that he was the most wicked king in the history of Israel. That's the piece of his story that has lasted. With the way the city works, because I've told you before, you could make more money and live better any other place but here. You've decided to live here. I'm serious. You could. You know why you live here? Because you want to make a difference. It's important to you. Know the difference between wanting to make a difference out of your devotion for Jesus Christ in whatever it is that you do, Colossians 3 says, and wanting your name chiseled in stone somewhere in this city, and wanting your name on a piece of legislation here in this city, and wanting to establish a house here, and wanting to establish property that will last for the ages. What do you learn from Ahab? In the end, none of it stinking matters. It doesn't mean that what we do here is not important. Quite the opposite. What we do here is incredibly important. But the heart and the mindset that you carry into it is what will truly determine what will last. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you don't take anything else away from today, this is the piece to take. On that day, that's the day that we give an account, on that day, nothing will be hidden. There will be nowhere to run. 
And the only hope you have will rest solely in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Let me say that again. On that day, nothing will be hidden. There will be nowhere to run. And the only hope you have will rest solely in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. It's weighed heavier on me. I get to turn 40 in August. If the Lord lets me make it that long, I get to turn 40 in August. And so you really do have, some of you have turned 40 already and you know, you go through kind of a, a set of emotions as you go through that time. And it makes you reassess things. And as a pastor, I've looked back on my life and there are some things I'm very, very proud that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of. And there are other things in my life I look back on and I go, you know what? There was a twinge of sin some of the best of moments, there's still a twinge of sin. I desire for my life to be filled with eternal moments. Moments that I could truly stand before God and be proud that I was able to be a part of that moment, a part of that movement. I can't help but wonder if maybe some of you feel the same way. Even our best of days, it says in Scripture, are as filthy rags to God. When it all boils down, no matter how good we are, no matter how much good stuff we do, our hope is in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus alone. Save your spot there and flip over to Romans 5. We'll close with this today. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes on this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace of which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope uh, and the uh, hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God. God has poured out his love into our hearts and by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for, die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a powerful word from Paul at the end. When we were powerless, when we felt untouched, when again we felt hidden from him, when we wanted to hide our sin, he comes to us and he saves us, he forgives us, and even though there is nothing we could ever do to deserve it. You see, Jesus is the only reason that we have a path to hope. It begs our final question today. Is your faith in Jesus or is it in yourself? Is your faith in Jesus or is it in yourself? I appreciate you listening today. Hey, we finished Ahab, all right? We still got another five weeks on Elijah to finish out his life, but I just want you to know, with this one, this is a warning to us. Make sure that your life is one that truly has been worth living, that it wasn't lived to get your name chiseled in stone, stone breaks, that it wasn't just something to get your name on a piece of legislation, papers are burned, that it wasn't just to try to amass enough stuff that we felt like a big shot. Stuff can go away at a drop of a hat. You ever heard of taxes? I'm telling you, it can go away in an instant. Guess what? When it comes to Christ, we live for him, and then whatever it is he's called us to do, that thing is eternal in nature. And when we cling to him, we become who we were made to be. Just like we prayed for little Kai today. Man, there are going to be people who live beyond us. And we got to make sure we did our best to set them up with moments that are eternal. 
Let's bow our heads for prayer.